And like that, we back. Hey, you almost knocked me down, man. What is excuse me? Ah, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Not only just knocked me down, you stepped on my brand new uh, white Air Jordans that I just bought. Man. That's all you can say is excuse me. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. I'll fuck you up quick two times. Two times. Who told you to step on my sneakers? Who told you? Welcome to the From the Soul podcast. Brought to you by Limitless Lifestyle Crew. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome to another episode of From the Soul Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Follow From the Soul on Instagram. Also follow Limitless Lifestyle Crew. Um, I am not uh, ignoring anything that is going on right now. It is uh, craziness. But I do have a, uh, a very special guest. This is actually like my OG we're going to try to talk about some sneakers just to kind of uh, help our minds kind of, I guess, put us in a different space. Uh, like I said, with the uh, pandemic going on, uh, you know, that's enough. But then with the uh, recent uh, murder of George Floyd and how the uh, world is reacting, and um, rightfully so in my opinion, um, a lot is just going on and, you know, we're angry and I get that. So hopefully this uh, podcast can uh, take some of that emotion and, and just kind of direct it in a, in a different angle for just a second, and then we can get right back to the bullshit. I'm 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 with it. We angry, we tired, so I get it. But my special guest is uh, this is my brother, man. It's uh, an OG of mine as far as uh, sneakers go, and uh, I thought he was a perfect person to come in and talk about the events that we're going to cover. Um, he is also um, a father as well to a young black man. So I know these times kind of hit a certain level for him as it has been for me. And I just have a nine month old. So um, on Instagram, you can follow him at Worldwide Vest, V-E-V-E-S, Worldwide Vest. We call him Vesty where I'm from. Um, how you doing, my guy? What's going on, man? Glad to be here, man. I uh, I definitely appreciate the nod. I'm definitely a big fan of the podcast. I'm a fan of everything you do. Um, like I like I've told you before, you know, you, your family, your moms, um, your lady, her family. You know, y'all some of my favorite people, man. I appreciate the positive and very genuine energy that I've always gotten from you. Um, you know, as you said, uh, you my my Instagram is Worldwide Best. Uh, VES, uh, formerly known as uh, Air Vesti. <laughs> that was a uh, very interesting nickname and time frame of my life. And you probably going to get into that. Um, but uh, the majority of the people here know me as Vesti. My name is Sylvester uh, Lockhart II. Um, fun fact, I have no middle name. I'm standing after my father. Uh, lifelong resident in Saginaw, Michigan. So I was born here. Lived on the east side the vast majority of my life. Uh, you know, attended all of Saginaw City schools. <laughs> all of them. Morally, morally central, Saginaw High. <laughs> uh, graduated a while ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, my 15-year reunion coming up, class of 2005. Uh, after that, I headed to University of Detroit Mercy for two years. Then I transferred back to Saginaw Valley. Um, after the birth of my son, Jay, uh, who is heading to eighth grade this year, uh, and 
very long time. A very long time. Very long time. Uh, kind of seen a lot. I feel like I seen it all. I was chatting with my wife the other day, and I was telling her that um, technically I would be what you would call a first generation sneakerhead. <laughs> um, I was really here to see. You know, I was really here to see the culture and the rise of the culture and everything. So, yeah. You know, I, I don't want to feel like I have an elder statesman view because I try not to be that old bitter guy that's sitting back saying, you know, this is how it used to be. I understand things evolve. I understand things change, and I, I welcome that. I feel like it's a beautiful part of life. You know, nothing, nothing will ever stay the same. But I also appreciate that I've lived long enough to see the cycles of things, things come back around, and you know. And to see how the culture has grown, you know, it's, 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 it's beautiful, man. Um, you know, contrary to popular belief, uh, it's a lot of people, you know, inside and all that are heavily into sneakers. That have always been into sneakers. Yep. Um, you know, take a brief moment, you know, shout out a few people who have served as uh, inspirations to me. Um, probably the biggest would be uh, my, my OG uh, guy named Lance Wafer. Um, and I don't think I've ever even told him this at this level to his face, and we talk regularly, uh -huh. but uh, Lance was probably the first person, the first guy that I saw that, like, I used to be like, man, he always got some dope kicks on, and what resonated with me for Lance then and now is that he hooped in him, and, you know, that was that's always big. big to me. Yeah, that's big. That's very I've big. Always, as much as I appreciate the fact that sneakers I have become fashion item and all of that, I always get back to the, the root of it all was that they were designed to help assist and enhance athletic performance. Yep. And so for me to walk around seeing Lance, um, you know, wearing his kicks and hooping at them at the YMCA mid to late 90s, that was always big to me. Um, a couple of other guys, I uh, got a homie, his name is Deshaun. You know, we call him Deep Rider. Deep Rider was always a guy when I got in high school. He was the guy that I always watched, him and his uh, crew of friends. Uh -huh. My guy Mac, my guy Worm, you know, they, they crew. They were the guys who kind of, like, inspired me from a fashion standpoint. That yeah. it was like, yo, like, they keep the dope kicks every day. Uh, another one one last guy, you know, may he rest in peace, my, my big homie, uh, Demario Sherman. Demario Sherman is probably hands down. Um, the freshest person I knew him and him, him and my guy Jerry Stone both of them made a rest in peace man they they were the guys who showed me and kind of taught me about the level of making sure that your shoes look brand new yep. every time that you wore them no matter how often you wore them yep. um, yeah you know that was a lot, a lot of rich history here man uh, regarding you know just sneakers and you know just the culture of it it was you know, it was a big thing, and I, like I said, I'm glad. I'm glad for the growth. I'm glad it's mainstream. I tell people all the time, sneakers not as mainstream as you think. And when they do, we'll know when sneakers get mainstream is when you look up on yeah. Good Morning America and they're covering release dates. Yeah. Until we get to that level, we have not reached mainstream. Yeah. It's popular. <laughs> it's cute. It's trendy. But until I turn on ABC and Good Morning America and NBC and all of these other major platforms, until I see Jimmy Fallon talking about, oh yeah, by the way, yeah, the the cement retro cores are dropping again this weekend. You know, be sure to check. Until we hit that level, um, I think uh, you know the culture still has some ways to go before it peaks. 
And so, and I'm, I'm excited about the growth of it, man. I really, I love what you're doing. Um, not just on your personal page, but, you know, with the, you know, with your brand and how it's growing. I, even going back to dedicated souls, man. You always <laughs> had an eye, you had an eye and an ear for a lot of this stuff, man. And it's just dope to see what you do. Well, I, I want to say with that, uh, Vest, so I know you're talking about some of the people that and uh, inspired you as far as that you've seen growing up with the uh, with shoes and sneakers and all of that. So, as I stated before, Vessi is definitely one of my OGs. I'm talking about before I was out camping out, when my mom was camping out uh, for me because I was too little. Vesti was out there, um, and she would tell me, you know, who was there. So for me, those those same inspirations come from. Uh, like you said, it's, it's certain people that you see hooping in them. And when I would see uh, Anthony Roberson, when I would see Pete hooping in 11s, it always meant something to me, um, knowing that I wanted to hoop in 11s. You know what I mean? I, I'm not saying like I wasn't a, a Jordan guy anyway, but I wanted to hoop in 11s because I saw Pete hooping in 11s and killing. And um, from a like a, a another standpoint, from with you, it was more so, okay, he knows – like the in and out of the sneaker, you you could break down a sneaker as far as material and uh, when it's coming out. What it, what is what is the story of this particular shoe based off of? That's something that from you I've always respected, and it made me want to you know kind of garner that knowledge into sneakers, not just about wearing them, but like what's really going on with the sneaker. Um, an, another person, let me say real quick, let me say another person. Uh, like you said, rest in peace with Swerve, one of the freshest people oh, that I ever oh, knew in my, my life. Yeah, so he was one of the freshest people I ever knew, and he always kept some clean shoes. So um, those are people for me, um, as far as like an inspiration standpoint. And then I would say secretly I was competing with DJ because DJ was always there. DJ oh, always definitely. had, you know what I mean? He he had everything. Like the, the dopest, one of the dopest human beings on earth, man. Mm-hmm. Like, shout out, shout out to DJ, man. Yep. So, um, before we get into the uh, the topic at hand, I do, like I said, I don't want to ignore anything that's going on. So, life has changed tremendously, and uh, me and you had a, a good session just rapping about life and things that we're going through personally uh, before actually going live on the pod. But how has... Uh, you know, with the family, with the wife and the son, how is uh like the COVID nineteen? How has that impacted you? And how are, is everybody safe? Or is everybody doing well with that? Yeah, oh, most definitely. It, it um, you know, it, it's it's hit it's hit extremely close. Um, I had an uncle. Um, he was he was diagnosed with COVID. He's recovered. Um, my wife had an aunt and an uncle and several cousins. You know, they were diagnosed. They've recovered. Um, for me and my wife. And my son, we've been pretty safe. Uh, like I say, my son, you know, he's a teenager, so he's been spending his time grinding on 2K. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, various other video games, man. I done kind of got into the video game thing myself a little bit more. Uh, me and my wife are educators. Uh, my wife uh, teaches seventh, eighth grade um, ELA. And I am a behavior specialist, you know, for smaller grades, kindergarten through fourth grade. So uh-huh. we were blessed and fortunate that, you know, we were able to be home during this time frame. And we were able to be home while still being fully compensated for my employer. Um, 
that was a that's a huge blessing that it was that we were able to do that. And we're very grateful for that. Um, just you know, it's just it's been different um, for me personally. Uh, I'm not sure how well so some of the listeners they may think they know me well, but for me personally, I I've never minded being at home. Uh, my mother, <laughs> my mother, and my grandmother kind of raised me that way. You know, I've I've always been a homebody. I've never really met somebody who was on the scene much. Um, even now, I run into people that I grew up with or grew up around, and they surprised to see me. They're like, man, I thought you moved. I'm like, no, nah, I stay here. I stay in the heart of the city. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, I'll be, be around, but I'm not around. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's felt like just one really long extended weekend. Um, just, you know, the way that things have happened, um, I don't. I feel like I'm, I'm grateful that some some of these issues have transpired during this time that we've been home. You know, with the, you know, with everybody becoming more aware, it's unfortunate that um, the things that have happened. You know, with Very. the young man jogging in Georgia to the young lady being shot in her home because of a raid going wrong. Yeah, yep. all the way to you know, most recently, you know, George Floyd. Um, these situations are new for African Americans. These are situations that we've dealt with and we've witnessed from the beginning of time. Um, we've reached our tipping point as a country for a number of reasons. Um, first being is because we're at home, and so I was I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was saying the reason why this hits different, and I also said this with my wife, it's hitting different because normally when these things happen, with you know Philando Castile, Sandra Bland. Tamir Rice, all of these situations, Trayvon Martin. Normally, when all of these situations happen, we busy. Um, we were busy, yep. and life did. Life kept going, and we allowed ourselves to be distracted by life. Whether it was a coping skill, you know, for some of us African Americans, just to keep reliving and seeing that trauma right in front of our face, or whether it was just a way to be dismissive, um, which which some people are. You know, they're dismissive. They're like, "Oh, that didn't happen. That don't affect me. That's far away." So because we've already been home and everyone's already on their phones nonstop and everyone's tuned in constantly to social right, media. Right. Um, we, we check social media more than we watch television. That's a fact. It's, and so as a result of all of that, all eyes are on the situation. We don't have anything to distract us. Um, we at home. We don't have nothing to, we don't have jobs where we're going to every day that we're so occupied in our work. And I know for me working at a school, you know, I'm in there, you know, seven to four, um, some days earlier, some days later. Uh-huh. And, you know, dealing with children and assisting them and supporting them and supporting staff and dealing with all of the issues that come up combined with the fact that my, my son is active, he plays sports and helping him and tending to his needs academically, athletically, and being married and, you know, family and all of that. Right. Right now, the earth really is, the earth stood still. America in particular, we were at a complete standstill. And so it gave us time to sit and watch, to process, to be angered at another level, to be outraged, to organize, to protest. Um, I'm not a fan of necessarily the looting, but I'm not against it either. Um, That's how I feel, man. I don't, it's got to happen, man. You can't tell people how to grieve. You can't tell people how to be angry. Yep. You can't. T- you can't. You can't give people that. And I've seen looting for less causes. Like, <laughs> hell, I've seen, I've seen ten- the University of Tennessee looted nonstop when Lane Kiffin got fired. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and I'm not saying that 
isn't a legit reason for those people who did it. But what I am saying is that I'm not looking to condemn anyone for anything they did as a result of being outraged from a very traumatic experience that, mm-hmm. you know, we have to continuously, you know, relive. Uh, like I said, I, you know, it's some interesting conversations that I have to have with my son, with, uh, with the other young men that's around, with the guys that play on our AU team. And I'm constantly telling them that, you know, growing up black in America is different. Um, it's very different. Um, I remember growing up in Saginaw. Um, I, I joke about this all the time, but I lived on the east side. I didn't even know how to get anywhere on the other side of the bridge until I was in high school. That's right. how divided everything was. Yep. Um, we went to the, we might have went to the mall and to Saginaw Valley University, but I remember I was dating a young lady and she lived near Arthur Hill, and I had to ask her for directions on how to get to her house to pick her up because. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't. We didn't go on that side of town for anything. We yeah. had everything we needed on this side of town. All my friends lived over here. My schools were over here. My church was over here. My entire family, and it's a lot of us. We all lived in relatively a one point five mile radius of each other. So, yeah. um, it was a you know culturally, you know, I was I was sheltered a little bit from the standpoint of understanding the nuances of navigating a world that isn't just my people. Right, yep. So I, I've been trying to use the information and the knowledge that I have to impart that to my son and just to, mm-hmm. to help him, you know, to understand how he has to navigate in this world that, um, unfortunately, at a certain age, you know, you are no longer a cute kid. You are an intimidating young man. Yep, yep. And there are some things that you need to do just so that you can make it home. And as, as unfortunate as it is, it's just that's just the nature of the world. And what I'm hoping can arise from these situations that are going on right now is that we can have real dialogue and, some, and really changing of the minds. And so that even if it don't happen in my lifetime, um, that my son will be able to truly experience a world where things are fair and equitable. Mm-hmm. Not that he's receiving preferential treatment because... He's a young black man, but just things being fair and equitable, even from a systemic standpoint. Um, I got you. You know, as a, you know, at me, I'm a little bit on the larger side, so I have to taper my approach with people, people of some people of color and people of non-color. I can't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not always the most free to express how I feel verbally out of, out of being mindful that someone could be afraid and that it could cause someone to. You know, be fearful or panic. So, um, I hope that we can move to a world that has more tolerance mm-hmm. when it comes to people of color, black people in particular. Um, I share this and I say this often to people that um, in America, black people have been socialized and taught fundamentally to be accepting and tolerant of all people, yep. races, sexes, genders, but nobody has really been socialized to accept and tolerate us black people yeah it's been like that forever man and uh that's that's the just of it because that's what we you know that's what we we would hope that uh in all situations that we're just in situations where everybody is treated the same i mean that's that's really all we want you know it's not we're not asking for rocket science to be completed for us or anything like that we just want it to be we just want to be treated the same you know and one last thing sometimes people I know it's people going to be listening like well what can I do what can I do to I mean as with anything it, it starts at home it starts in the areas that you yep. work that you're closest in for me 
I work with children. And I tell children and I tell their parents and all of that, my biggest thing is that what you will get from me is fair and equitable treatment. Um, I'm not partial when it comes to the children that I'm handling because I want that to be my mark. That uh-huh. No matter what they encountered when they met <laughs> Mr. Lockhart, as they call me, when they dealt with me, when they encountered me, whatever, that my treatment of them was fair. Gotcha. Um, that I was consistent and that I was fair because whether whether they felt I was right or wrong, it was fair. Gotcha. And being fair isn't subjective. Like being fair is like that's a straight, that's a very straight, consistent line. And right or wrong is subjective. What might be right to me might be wrong to you, but fair, you have you have studies, you have stats, you have data that you can see that like the the treatment that. African Americans have received in this country the, the disenfranchisement, uh, the systemic racism, the systemic, uh, the way finances are handled, the amount of money we are allowed access to when it comes to trying to get loans and just everything. Like the way that it's set up, it's not fair. Yep. There are there are there are some hurdles that we have to climb that other races and other people don't, don't have even, to climb. They don't even and know about. In order for it, to, in order for it to be fair. Either they got to jump through them hoops we jumping through, or you need to remove the hoops and allow everybody access. Because everybody not running the same race. If I'm running with a with a five second delay, and you already done took off, those yeah. five seconds are that's the difference between winning and losing. And, so and we have it there. So that's a that's from a a, a black father, and I I'm glad you you brought all of that up because like I said, I don't want to uh, ignore what is going on. I'm not tone deaf. Uh, neither are you. I'm, you know, very aware of what's going on and, and how unfair and just tragic all of this stuff is. So we're going to switch topics. This is from the soul. We're going to switch topics. Uh, it is a double entendre. So what you just got is the, the, the soul from S-O-U-L. That's what you, you just got. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about shoes, but mostly we're going to Talk about the last dance, man. I mean, I want we're about three weeks uh, removed from it was supposed to be the Bulls document documentary, The Last Dance, but it ended up being uh, Michael Jordan's The Last Dance documentary. Um, for me, I would just say I did enjoy it. I mean, I know a lot of people didn't like the jumping back and forth, but I did appreciate the jumping back and forth from year to year just because in order to tell the full story i fought i felt those details of how they got to that point were needed um even uh being able to get you know some of his most heated rivals like isaiah thomas and you know to get perspective or even just letting them say something i did think uh that was pretty dope as well um how did you like the the documentary and uh what's the replay value i guess i say uh, for you oh man so you know I, I, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a nineties kid through and through. <laughs> so, like you know, growing up in Saginaw, we had access to WGN, uh, which was the Chicago station. Yep, I remember. So, uh, you know, I was a little on the younger side during Mike's first three P. I vividly remember it, but I was younger, and um, his retirement definitely, you know, hit me heavy. I, I remember telling my mom that uh, when he retired in 93, I remember going to her and telling her I wasn't going to hoop no more. Like, I retired, Mama, Mike Jordan's <laughs> all. And uh, I remember being, even though I was young, I remembered having enough insight to say, 
And when he came back, that this was special. And then I need to tune in. Yep. So I don't think there's a Bulls game from his return until the last Bulls game in 98 yep. that I did not see in some capacity. I feel um, you. I feel you. Due to having... Due to having WGM, I tuned in a lot. My grandmother was the world's biggest Michael Jordan fan, so I watched a lot of games with her, and we got to talk, and that was like an area where we spent quality time. Uh, for the people who had issues with it jumping back and forth, it really didn't jump back and forth as much as they thought. It kind of kept you on the edge of your seat, but when you sit down and you really think about it, mm-hmm. it, it broke the episodes up in half. So like half of the episodes, they were still moving in chronological order, there were just two storylines going. Yep. There was a storyline that was giving you historical context for what Bulls were before Mike, from Mike's history to building all the way up. And then the latter half gave you the context completely of what was going on during that final season. I remember in 97, uh, 98, the fall, I was in, I was in the fifth grade. Uh, and I remember um, that summer before as the prior summer, uh, Jordan was a free agent, and uh, he was a free agent the summer of '96, and he re-signed with the Bulls for what I think 30 million. Uh, not too many people know this, but the Knicks was right downstairs. They had just offered uh, a two-year, 50 million dollar deal or one-year, 25 million dollar deal. And uh, I remember reading some stuff with Mike saying that uh, <laughs> all, all the Bulls had to do was basically fuck up and he was gone to the Knicks. Right. How that would have shaken the landscape of the world, I think about that often, but that was just a little, you know, little fact to throw in there. Uh, then I remember the 97, 98 season. I remember all the, all the things that were covered in the documentary. I remember I recall. Uh, for me, I didn't really gain any new information, but I... For 90s and 80s, I'm a real basketball nerd. 2000s too, but like during that time frame, like I was reading everything, I was uh-huh. watching everything. So I, there was none of the information for me was new. Like I remember the rosters. I knew who Scott Burrell was, Randy Brown, Jeff Bushler. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised my guy uh, Bison Daylight, aka Brian Williams, rest in peace. He didn't really get no love. <laughs> In the documentary, I thought they might have said something briefly, but you know, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of moving parts, so I understand how they had to keep it going. Um, I enjoyed it though, man. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I still enjoy the back and forth between Mike and Isaiah. Um, I think it's not it's, so much personal as it is just like it's genuine. That, that was just an era where guys didn't like guys wasn't trying to be friends. Like there was no grassroots basketball. There was no. There was no LeBron and Melo meet when they was 15 years old and being friends. Like, you came from where you came from. You you went to your college and you got to the league. And that was that. And you might have built some relationships with guys once you got to the league. But back then, the league was like, and I say they was grown men, but they were men who... They had a different set of standards, though. Like, it was... And they just just didn't come up in a very friendly time. Like, they didn't know each other. Right. So... You know, they, while Mike and Isaiah may have respected each other, and not to say that the game has been compromised because guys know each other, because I've watched Mike, I've watched Brian go at Melo, Wade, Bosh, and try to kill them. I have, but it hit a little different as a kid, knowing that you know uh-huh. Mike really didn't like Isaiah, and you know all of that. Yeah, it, it just it just was it was different, but I, I enjoyed it, man. I thought it was very insightful. I remembered. I remember knowing that they had been following that team the whole season. And so when Mike finally 
when Mike and ESPN or whoever had the footage finally announced that it was coming, I think it was about three, four years ago. It was 2016 when they announced. When they announced it, I was like, yeah, man, this is this right on time. And it, it kind of took some time to get it going, but overall, man, I, I was pleased with it. Um, you know, Michael Jordan is a very interesting person, and I'm glad that people got to see, you know, I think the, the, I, the inside. Right, like, and that, just, that's what I think. Just, not just Mike, like like Mike commercials. Yeah. Space Jam. Like you got to think, The Last Dance was very informative because we have an entire generation of people who consume his sneakers and his product. And know nothing about him. All they know about him is that he's the guy from Space Jam. Yep. Yep. They didn't, they don't, they don't, they didn't understand that like this was Mike, like, like that this was Mike. And because Mike was so dominant, um, his dominance in later years has worked against him because he was perceived to have to have competed against very inferior opponents. And so I like that this doc went through and showed that like the guys Mike was going against, they weren't no slouches, man. Clyde Drexler, Gary Payton, Penny Hardaway, Shaq, you know, Stockton Malone, you know, Barkley. Them guys weren't soft, man. They weren't no pushovers. Um, you know, the league, there was a gap in the league. I will say this: the gap <laughs> from superstar to twelfth man on the bench in the NBA in the nineties was bigger than it is now. That's but, saying a lot, though. I mean, because you know, that, that's saying a lot if it, if it's a big gap. I do, yeah. I do think it was just overall more of a. It was more top heavy. Yeah, it was a, a tougher. It's still, I think, it was just in general, not even from a rule standpoint, but. From a relationship standpoint, if these players don't have that same relationship we see now with the superstars where they're working out together and not to say, you know, not to say like it's the worst thing in the world, but it's a competitive it's just a competitive league. Like they 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 are literally going after each other for blood. Um, I think for me, what I did get, though, um, obviously, you know, growing up and knowing about the shoes and and Space Jam and all of that. I got to, I guess, getting to see Jordan and his personality, right? Like, yeah, he was a, he was an asshole, but we are, we knew he was an asshole. We didn't know the the extent, and a lot of it just comes off to me because I'm a sarcastic person. It was just sarcasm, to be honest. Like, I mean, some people took it yeah. the wrong way, but right. I'm a sarcastic person, so I got all of it, to be honest. Yeah, Mike just had like Mike, like Kobe, like guys who are really ultra competitive and like to win, like our, like myself, like you. Uh, we can have a bit of what could be perceived as a dark sense of humor. Right. So a lot of the things Mike was saying, I just laughed at. It reminded me of things that my father and my grandfather would say. Um, Mike, being a man from the South, a lot of his mannerisms and his attitude definitely reminded me of some things that I've seen my father and my grandfather just <laughs> like, like, that's just what it was. Like, they, they were real matter-of-factly type people. And, um, you know, it was, that's just what it was. I didn't, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. I loved it. Um, I, I appreciated the insight. I like hearing Mike tell the stories. Like, I've been watching and getting information all these years, and, I watched some of Mike's interviews, and they always seemed like he was holding his composure and uh-huh. like he was a character in a movie. Right. So to see Mike just be transparent and be vulnerable and, and be open, um, it really humanized him. Yep. Because, you know, to us, he was, you know, you 
know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but he was, he was black Jesus. Yeah, that's that's, that's for sure. As, that's man. for sure. He, he had a aura. I remember being in Chicago with my mom in the summer of '97, and I, we went to Michael Jordan's Steakhouse downtown on the, you know, Chicago, and I remember just being so happy that he happened to be sitting in the balcony. Mm-hmm. Like he happened to be there that day, sitting in the balcony. And I remember he stood up and waved, and it was like the Michael Jackson effect. Like people was crying and yelling, you I, know, all of that. So for that, for that I, one man to have that type of impact, and for us to finally get to see some of the inner workings and insight to him, that was super dope, man. I definitely appreciate it, and I, I, I I'm glad I got to relive some of my fonder childhood moments. You know, just from just from the '90s overall, man. That was a really good time. To, uh, to be alive, man. The economy was thriving. Um, <laughs> life, life was good. Um, for me, it was, a, it was, for the most part, a carefree time. And the majority of the dopest sneakers were created during that time frame. Like, Tinker Hatfield, Eric Gavard. They really they really put some stuff together, man, working mm-hmm. over at Nike that, that really changed the landscape of not just athletics, but it changed the culture of fashion as a whole. Um, that's that's really something big that Mike ushered in. Mike, you know, he was the first, not the first guy, but he was the guy who put it over the top where, you know, sneakers just was dope. Like, you just, you wanted the new Jordans, and that spilled over into other athletes. And 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 I, I, I liken that to just the time, because like you, I mean, I remember uh, it was the 96-97 season. I remember going to watch... Uh, Jordan play at at the Palace against Grand Hill, and they got blew out. But I, just, I they got blew out because Grand Hill was obviously that guy around that time. Definitely but, that guy. But but being able to see Jordan live and in person, um, and it's not like you know he was sucky or anything. It just was one of them games where Grand Hill was you know pushed his team a little farther than the Bulls, but. I remember, I literally remember my mom taking me to go see Jordan and that feeling that I had. So the nostalgia standpoint is, is awesome. Um, so let's, let's since we're talking about moments in time, right? Like for most people, I would think their fo- the first moment, especially now, like you said, uh, sneaker culture is younger and younger. Their their first moment or remembrance of, of Jordan is probably a, a, a tennis shoe. Um, now... Obviously, I was younger uh, when when the tennis shoes came out, uh, but I have a first memory of my first pair of Jordans. Like my first pair that I can truly remember, uh, I believe were were the eights, the Aqua eights, and and I got pictures in in shoes younger than or, or yeah yeah that came out years before that, but I was too young to really remember it. I remember wow. myself though in the Aqua eights. Because I had on like a swishy Nike jumpsuit, and I could recall myself walking downstairs at my aunt and uncle's house across the street from mine, and just feeling like I was on top of the world. So the Aqua Eights are a shoe that bring back a certain memory that I would never forget. Um, for me, do you have like a pair of Jordans that that you know were your first pair, or that bring a special memory to you? So, um, listeners, we did not plan this, but I'm gonna tell you. Uh, the first pair of Jordans that I remember getting were also Aqua Eights. <laughs> um, it was uh, now I'm I'm gonna give my what might seem to be a little OCD ish detail wise, 
but now the first pair of Jordans that I know that I had um, were the black cement threes. Um, I have a sister who is about 14 years older than me, and she was a, she's a very dope person. But back then, she was like really into gear and stuff. And she purchased. Uh, she used to babysit. She um, begged my mom to allow her to buy me. Mm-hmm. I think at the time they were forty dollars. Um, I was one years old, and she bought me and her. We had matching black cement threes. Um, I, I wish I could find pictures of them, but what I do know is that I remember being a little older and discovering them in a closet. Uh-huh. And just I was like, man, them the Jordans that Jordan had on in the All Star game. Like, I was like a little kid, but I was you know I was heavy into watching stuff. I had all of the documentaries, Come Fly With Me, uh, Michael Jordan's Playground. Uh, and I just remember always being fixated on the sneaker part. Now, when it comes to Aqua 3s, um, I got them. I remember it was uh, spring of 93. I was in kindergarten. Um, they were purchased from a local boutique we had. It was called Alfano's Stride Right. <laughs> I remember going in there with my mother. I remember picking them off the shelf. And the reason we went to Alfano's Dry Right was because at the time, my mother was employed by Michigan Bell, which is now AT&T. Yep. And their main building, they had two buildings downtown. They had one building right across from Stride Right, and they had another building right next to the library. She worked in that building next to the library. And my father had a car wash that was also downtown, so she had picked me up from my father at the car wash and she was like, we're going to get some shoes, you know, it's time. And I remember walking in and I went right over to the eights. Um, I had been infatuated with um, Jordan only warm in the all-star game that year, but I watched that all-star game. Like, uh-huh. I, I was tuned in. I had the trading card. I had a trading card and he was dunking in that royal blue all-star jersey and he had the aqua eights on. And I remember I wore the hell out of them shoes. Man, <laughs> Like, I wore them Aqua 8s every day. And I had the same fits you had, Swishy Jogger suit, all of that stuff. But uh, those Aqua 8s, man, they definitely, those are definitely the first Jordan that I remember uh-huh. having. I remember knowing what they were, and I remember being proud, like, just to have them, man. I wore them. I remember my dad, he worked at General Motors, and he brought some glue home from work so that he could glue one of my straps back on because I had wore them so much <laughs> that I had, like, I had pulled the strap off. Man. But, uh, yeah, man, Aqua Ace, man. I think, and for parents at the time, purchasing Ace was a good decision because they had the Velcro on. Yeah, so that's like, what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. If you wasn't old enough to tie their shoes, you know, you could just strap them up. And tuck the laces, yeah, strap, strap the Velcro. Yep. And, and kids enjoyed that. As a kid, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed you know, the, the Velcro part of it. Um, you know, definitely. I also had, side note, I had a pair of Air Raids. Um, me and my sister had oh. matching black and gray Air Raids. And, you know, the, the Air so Raids that's the inspiration. inspiration. Yeah, that's the inspiration. So That's the inspiration. But me and my sister had those. And I had the Air Raids that year. Um, I got those from the Nike outlet. Me and my sister, my, my second oldest sister, we had matching fits and all of that. But yeah, man, Aqua Ace, man, that was... Uh, yeah, so I was in kindergarten. I remember that. That was that was a great shoot. So a it, very good shoot. Right. So and like you, it's like I I've seen. I remember me having other. I don't necessarily remember, but I've seen pictures. Like I just I had a picture of me in in the great fives, uh, not too long ago, and I don't remember it. But obviously, you know, I got on great fives. But it's just something about the the aqua eights and that colorway and the the Bugs Bunny reference. You know, all of that stuff. As a kid, 
you remember that. So um, it, it's obviously something that I, I remember and hold like near and dear to, to my heart. Um, so that's pretty cool, man. We got the same shoe. We didn't even really think about it. Obviously, we didn't yeah. talk about I, it. I, like literally, I, just, I was like, I know you're going to ask me about my first pair. I'm like, yeah, Apple Ace. I was trying to go. And I was trying to see, like, did I remember having the fives? Like, I know I had the fives, but I don't remember them. Right. I know I didn't get the sixes. I remember that you know, I didn't get the sixes. But uh, Aqua Eights, man, that was, okay. yeah. So, yep. so uh, let's let's talk about uh, you watch Jordan. Obviously, you got you got more years than me to, to even be able to watch him. The first time I remember watching Jordan was in 93 when they beat Charles Barkley. Um and I think I, I was four at the time, so I, I do remember. I remember that. Um, I don't remember obviously the the previous two series, but I do have the Michael Jordan. What is it? Airtime uh, documentary, and I played the hell out of that. Like I still, oh, yeah. I can still yeah. watch that to this day, where he got you know the 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 championship against the Blazers, and they show his move against Magic and all of them. Um, so he's had. Obviously, being you know, for most people, he is the goat. Um, I do think he's the goat. Um, I, I like to tie him with Kareem, but I do think he is the goat. Uh, he had plenty of like signature moments, and it's funny because when I was asking this question, the sneakers app actually put out you know some iconic moments of Jordan and which shoes he was wearing at the time. Um, for you, do you remember or have any of those moments that you remember exactly what shoe um, that that he was wearing when he kind of took over or dominated or did a certain move or maybe just showed out in general? Yeah, most definitely, man. I got a couple of them. Uh, uh, going back to piggyback on what you said, like I, my first earliest memory of watching Mike, uh, I vaguely remember the 1991 finals. At that uh -huh. time, I was four. Uh -huh. I remember that. I remember they, you know, they, they beat Magic them at five, but I wasn't really honed in. But I definitely remember, and it's gonna be funny. I remember the '91, '92 finals against the Blazers. Uh -huh. um, I remember watching every game, but I had an aunt, and my aunt was a huge Clyde Drexler fan. She thought he was the dumbest <laughs> human on earth, and I was a big Michael Jordan fan because my grandmother was a Michael Jordan fan. Right, and so. I remember the satisfaction that my grandmother got watching Jordan kill Clyde that entire series. I remember even at one point the series, I think, was tied 2-2. And then the Bulls came back and uh, they closed it out completely, finished it 4-2. Um, people talk about Jordan's best teams, and I just want to sidebar. I believe that the 1991-92 version of Michael Jordan is the best complete version that we've seen of him. Um, I know I know. 96 gets all the credit because they went 72 and 10, but they went 67 and 15 in uh, 92, and they had a chance to get the 70 win record at the time. But from a from an athletic standpoint, from a skill standpoint, uh, and he was healthy that entire year. That is the most complete version of um, Jordan that we saw in 93. Okay. He had a couple of nagging injuries. The reasons why the ace had the straps and the pad was because he was having some ankle issues. He had a wrist issue that whole year. Uh -huh. um, you go back and check pictures of him. He's wearing a, a wrist brace, I believe, on his shooting wrist most of that season. Mm -hmm. um, and the Bulls kind of like, they kind of took a step back. They went 55 and 27, I believe, that year. But uh, sneaker-wise, 
some of the moments. The first moment that I really remember is when he came back and uh, he's Mike in the four or five, and they were playing the Hawks. And they played this <laughs> clip in the uh, last dance. And they didn't really give it as much as I thought they should have. But uh, Mike took the ball out. He took the ball out inbound. Mike, he walked it up the floor. He gave Steve Smith, who was an all-star guard at the time, very and, and size-wise to check Mike. He gave him an in-and-out dribble and pulled up from the right wing. And I just remember him hitting that shot and me being completely fixated right. on the Tens. The Tens were a, a big deal to me because they had the stats up until uh, his, his retirement season on the bottom of the yeah. show. And so that, and then shortly after that game winner, um, I remember watching the entire double nickel game, you know, even down to the assist of Bill Winnington. And so that that is a moment that sticks out for me. Um, Sorry. Another moment that sticks out for me, and this is going to seem a little bit random, but I remember during the 96 playoffs, they were playing the Knicks, and he switched and started wearing the Air Jordan 11 low IE. Yep, the black joints. Uh-huh. The black joints. Yep. And, uh, I remember it was a guy in my neighborhood uh, that had his name was T. Dennis. Shout out to T. Dennis, you know, random shout out. But T. Dennis had them joints, and I remember thinking, like, what are those? Like, where did them joints come on? Because <laughs> the 11s were the patent leather. So, like, he like, oh, these new Jordans. And I'm like, I ain't seen them. You know, back then, it wasn't no internet that we could check. It wasn't no blogs. Right. We was kids. And so I remember that series. I think it was game two. Uh, Mike pulled the joints out, and I just remember being glued to the screen, like, oh, snap. And so I remember being infatuated with that uh-huh. particular I... shoe. He didn't wear them too much longer. Uh, he had a, an ankle foot thing the next series against uh, Orlando, and he switched mid-game and went back to the uh, breads. I think he ended up wearing a low bread in the finals, like a modified version. But, I, uh, that, I, I remember last, that. I remember that. What you say? I was going to say, I remember that 11 low and seeing him wearing that. And I thought yeah. the same thing as a kid. Like, you know, what's that? Like, what, what, yeah, what is you know, he wearing? We know nothing about it at all. Well, well, see, back then, we didn't get, we, back then, and I, and I say this to my son often because I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily trying to school him in the sneaker world, but I want him to understand how things work in a time that predates accessible internet to everyone. Yep. Back then. There were, we didn't know when shoes came out um, unless you knew somebody who worked in the store. You just went to the mall with your family and you happened to see the shoes or you had East Bay Magazine coming or you were buying or subscribing to Slam Magazine. I want to give Slam a lot of credit for the sneaker culture because Slam definitely, with them dedicating a section of every issue just to kicks, was important because it got to show us the beginning of, like, that was the beginning of us knowing when stuff was dropping because you would get the slam and you might read the slam eventually but the mm-hmm. first place everybody went in slam was the kicks so <laughs> for us to for us to see jordan pull a shoe out that we hadn't seen on shelves or that you might have seen your friend with um and you didn't know nothing about it that was always the, the, the shock value of the 90s like right you saw shoes you know you was like man what is them like i remember Seeing, you know, Mike Bibby with the phones on. I'm like, what is them that he got on? Like, them ain't out. Yeah, yep. I feel you. You know, and then going to the store, and you would go to the store, you know, back up until when they started retro and stuff, Jordans didn't have numbers. You just went to the store and said, hey, do y'all got the new Jordans? We didn't know that they were, <laughs> we didn't know that they were 10s or 11s. That's some 
stuff we learned uh. in high school. But like, <laughs> as kids, we was just like, we want the new Jordans. Like, those new Jordans? Like, we want them. Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, my, my last moment is uh, playoff 12s. Um, beautiful. Two, two, two instances with playoff 12s. Yeah, beautiful. Um, when, he, when he pulled them off of the All-Star game, uh, that was 97 in Cleveland, he got the first triple-double in the NBA All-Star game. I thought he was going to get MVP, but they gave it to Glenn Rice because he got hot. Hit like seven, eight threes. I, I still feel like that was some trash, but um, <laughs> playoff 12s resonate because I remember the 97 finals game one, and uh, you know, Byron Russell thinking he could check Mike, Mike go ISO, hesitation, jab, one dribble, pull up, Bulls win 84 82, and that's when Mike brought that. Was, I think that was the first time we saw Mike do the fist pump thing. And that kind of like became his signature later on, and right. was kind of adopted. But like before then, we didn't see Mike just like, you know, he did the fist pump and he held it like he knew the shot was good. And I just remember that moment. And I remember going to the YMCA like the next day and doing the countdown in my brain, shooting from the left wing, just like and, Jordan, uh, just like just Jordan. Like him. And not just like to the standpoint of I wanted the ball to go through the rim the way it went through. Like I wanted it to hit hit the back of the rim and not really touch the net and just drop. So, yeah, uh, Mike definitely, uh, those moments and the, the nostalgia um, that that created and being able to witness it firsthand, uh, it definitely helped for the drive the culture and to drive me. Mm-hmm. As, you know, at the time, I wouldn't have, I don't think sneakerhead was a term that existed. I was just somebody who liked shoes a lot. And yeah. it was driven, it was driven from seeing athletes in the shoes, like, that's, that's where it came from. It wasn't, we, we saw Mike, and if Mike was a 12-point-a-game guy, it wouldn't his, matter. Shoes would, his kicks wouldn't have mattered. But the yeah. fact that he was Mike, and he went out, he did this stuff, uh-huh. we we psychologically felt like, well, man, shoot, I can get them. Maybe, maybe I could score 40. Yep. I mean, that wasn't realistic, but you know, that's what that's what kids and hell, some some adults even felt like that. Yeah, so and I want to say so the tens, man, I know and that's not obviously for a lot of people, they don't really even like tens, but that is one of my favorite like Jordan models, just from a fit standpoint, even in a hoop in a hooping standpoint, like you said, this is a performance sneaker. Uh the tens always fit me pretty dang good and when I hooped in them. Always felt good hooping in tens, and the overall look of them now, obviously, with uh, most people just wearing them to be more of a fashion statement. Um, I, I definitely agree. The tens are, are one of those shoes that you know yeah, Jordan was, Jordan's back, felt, right? Like when Scottie Pittman did it, Jordan's back in the tens. Yeah. So, and so um, I, I believe a big part of the tens was they were they were one of the first Jordans that kind of had a full zoom unit in them. And so that's that's always where the comfort lies. Um, when they started putting that full zoom unit in Jordans and in Nikes in general, that that kind of changed the comfort aspect. My son, you know, he plays basketball and he plays travel ball, and so um, he's very particular about certain shoes. Like I would try to give him, you know, the latest stuff and all of that, and he'd be like, "No, Dad, my feet hurt." Right. But the tens, um, you know, Air Jordan ten, Air Jordan eleven. Um, Air Jordan 12 have been shoes that he has said, you know, unanimously. Like, he hooped and he had the Bobcat tans and he hooped in them, like, forever because even in practice, he would be like, they just felt good. They yep. were, mm-hmm. I believe, the, the straps inside that, that attached the, the tongue to the shoe. Um, that assisted with a number of things. It was just, it was a really good shoe. 
Yep. So one of a couple moments I want to bring up. One of them is uh, actually not Jordan wearing Jordans, but when he wore the Air Flights against Penny Hardaway in them uh, in in Game Three of the '95 playoffs. They ended up losing, but I, I always look at that moment to mean something because Penny Hardaway is by far my favorite player, like ever. Um, so for him to get that nod from Jordan, because he had on an 11 PE that, you know, they were saying, no, cause it's all black. He can't wear it. It's not, uh, up to, up to standard with the, the Jersey, um, or outfit regulations and code or whatever. And for him to, you know, he got a locker full of Jordans for him to go put on, uh, the Nike air flight just as like a nod to Penny. Cause he knew Penny and then went up next. He knew Penny was, was that guy and he respected his game so much that he put on a pair of pennies, which is uh, the only time other than him wearing airships weren't designated to him where he had on somebody else's shoe. So I thought that was, uh, that was pretty dope. Um, that's one of my favorite men- memories of, of, of Jordan uh, in, in a, a sneaker moment. Another one, uh, and I still had this poster is the 96 all-star game uh, at the Alamo. Oh, with, yeah. with the the Columbia zone uh, and him holding up the, the, the MVP trophy. I'll never forget that. Like I had that poster hanging up in my childhood hood, hood room to this day. And it's just the impact that the Columbia's had. Cause when them hit, you know, we had seen, um, we, 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 we were kind of looking at the Columbia's like, damn, an all white shoe. And you know, I, he had the, the poster of him dunking in the Columbia's and then to top it off with an MVP win. Um, in the jersey, the all-star jerseys I felt were clean that year. So that's like one of the best, you know, all-star jerseys that I enjoyed. So I remember that as well. Um, and then finally, man, uh, I would say, I would say the playoff 13s and seeing him play the Pacers in the playoff. I'll never, those are probably one of my, my favorite Jordans. Uh, I don't know if I'll put it like top three or whatever, but the playoff 13s, that black on black. With them small hits, you know, the yellow and the red on the tongue and all of that with the hologram. It's it's that's a that's a love affair for me, man. Them playoff thirteens. So I remember moments and you know, them overcoming a tough series with the Pacers that year. Um and him wearing them thirteens and you know, just being the man, obviously. So um I appreciate that. Now I wanna kinda we're gonna kinda round it out, but um, you've been collecting for a while and buying shoes for a while. Um, and now you have a son that you, he's pretty much got it honest, I'm sure. Um, and he may or may not care about it as much as you, but, uh, it's just like an inheritance thing at this point. Um, we grew up in, in Saginaw, Michigan for y'all who do not know, um, what 20, 30, 20, 25 minutes from Flint, North of Flint, about an hour and a half North of Detroit. Um, and we used to get, we used to get a lot of shoes, man, but what was it like as far as, you know, you waking up in the morning or I don't know, maybe you went to Mr. Allen's or maybe you just went to fashion square. What was that like for you growing up and going out to buy, buy tennis shoes? Well, you know, back then, um, it was relatively accessible. Um, if you were able to get like to the mall or to the store within like the first month or so of the release, especially with me being a kid. Uh-huh. Um, I was in I was in grade school sizes until I was in uh sixth grade. So 
I didn't have that difficult of a time as a child um, because Jordan were releasing. But uh, a thing that a lot of people tend to forget at times was that Jordan had not real competition, but he had steady competition sneaker-wise. Um, like you, Penny Hardaway is my personal favorite player yeah. ever, followed by Ella Iverson, followed by Mike, in terms of preferential favorites. Gotcha. But um, when it comes to access and shoes back then, you had options. So there were years where I may have passed up on what was the latest Jordan model to get. Um, I remember 96, 97, I went to Dick's Sporting Goods with my dad, and this is back when Dick's physically carried Jordans in the stores. Mm-hmm. And I remember holding the Taxi 12s and the Orlando Penny 2s in one hand. And my dad was like, you can only get one. They both was ninety four ninety nine. <laughs> I remember telling I remember telling the lady, give me the pennies. Because uh, I was extremely partial to Penny Hardaway. Blue chips, uh, Orlando colors was the dopest uniforms at the time. And that's what it was. So back then, it was a lot more of a variety. You could go anywhere and virtually cop. Unless the only time that the mania happened was for Jordan 11s. Yep. Historically, Jordan 11s have always been a frenzy shoe that have relatively sold out immediately. But even back then in the 90s, you could you could get the 11s as long as you were at the mall. Maybe that day or that week. Not even that week because prior to the Columbia release in 2001, prior to that, all Jordans prior to that were releasing on Wednesdays. So in order to get the Jordans, you know, you either skip school yep. or you send somebody out there. I remember getting Concords, the first retro in 2000. And I remember, you know, going to school a little late and having my older sister take me to the mall. And she, <laughs> put, she put them in layaway for me. And then I came back to the mall with my dad maybe a couple weeks later and he got them out. And, um, you know, that was that. So back then it was a little bit more accessible uh, with us being in Saginaw. We had a few other options that were a little lower. You could always go to Midland. You could go to Bay City. They would also get the sneakers. And that was kind of like ducked off until the 11s dropped and then everybody knew right. the spots to go to. Yep. Um, so back then we really didn't camp out that often unless it was like 11s. I remember my was this would be my junior year of high school. Junior? Yeah, my junior year of high school, playoff 12s dropped. And they dropped around Valentine's Day of 04. And I remember that being relatively a big release because I think all the girls went to get the, the Valentine's Day Air Forces and all the guys was lined up for playoff 12s. But even them, they, you were still able to get them. Like, Jordans were accessible back then. You could go to the store and you could get them. Every now and then, certain models would end up in the outlet. But there was a premium socially on having the newest Jordans as they dropped back then. So, you know, we would, um, me personally, if I couldn't get them, I, we would drive down maybe to Great Lakes Crossings at Arbor Hills. Yep, yep, I remember them trips. Fair Lane Mall in Detroit. Mm-hmm. But I was always a, a, a Foot Locker Champs guy. So I would be trying to go to Foot Locker Champs. We had a, you know, every now and then you might catch foot action. You know, Sibley's, I remember Imperial Sports. You know, we had a number of places where you could get them. It was just making sure you got them because they were always in high demand. Yeah. Um, but if you were on top of it, information-wise, you could get what you wanted. And and you just had to. And you just you just you just had to be a little vigilant with it. And that was a lot different than now. Whereas you look on the internet. Shoe, you look on the internet. You can find whatever shoe you want whenever and that's, you want it. That's what I wanted to say. To yeah, that's what I wanted to say. So back then, being 
you know, diligent in, in your sneaker search meant going to the store and talking to people. You know what I mean? Like, it was a whole different thing as far as talking to people. Uh, Nike Talks, I think, had just started. Like, the internet really just came about and stuff like that. So, um, you had different sources, but a lot of it was who you knew, right? So, um, you would talk to people and, you know, oh, I know these Jordans are, are coming out and... Uh, like I said, I was younger, so I, I didn't camp out. I don't remember camping out until I probably got into high school is when, like, at that point, mom, my mom was like, look, man, if you want these shoes, you're going to have to go get them yourself. And um, there are a few releases that I remember just kind of being, like, like packed. Like, w one of those releases was a 10. Remember when the, I remember when the white, gray, and red 10s uh, came out. Oh, yeah. That, and, you know and what? That was crazy. So that was yeah, that was that was fall of that would have been fall of 05, summer in the summer, fall of 05. I was heading to college and I remember uh that that that, that steel red, red, gray. It was a yep. red steel, is what they call it, yep. I guess. Those dropped uh those, I remember those in the blue one, that blue, that navy the you know, mid two thousands were a great time because there was a lot of there was a lot of things coming out, but the demand was also growing. Like you, you, you touched on Nike Talk. I remember getting on Nike Talk, and I actually recovered my account from two thousand one. <laughs> so I was I was in the eighth grade on Nike Talk, wasn't posting, but that was the only place I could get information from. So like a lot of a lot of the things that were happening at the time. Um, I had a front row seat to as things developed. I tell people, you know, these nicknames that you hear about shoes, they weren't names that the companies came up with. Like, no. didn't name the shoes. No. <laughs> Cement boards and flu game 12s and all that stuff. Those were the names that sneakerheads commonly referred to as. Uh -huh. And the names just blew up. I remember a guy made a post in Nike Talk. He named all of the Jordans. Like he get, you know, all the nicknames, the consensus nicknames that were being used. And it was funny to me to see years later that Nike had adopted Nike and Jordan. That's, brand that's their marketing. Those nicknames yeah. And we're using them as market employees. Yep. Like, we didn't call the concourse concourse in, in 95 or in 2000. They was just the white and black J's, yep. white and black 11's. Yep. You know, we didn't call, you know, the breads, breads. We called them, those was the black and red Jordans. The Space Jams was the first Jordan that really had a name. But the only reason we called him Space Jams was because that's what that he was wore. The place, <laughs> that was the place we saw him. It yep. was like the, the, the Jordans from Space Jam, the Space Jams. So, you know, being able to watch the culture grow, having a front row seat of that. Like, I remember being in high school and we would go to the computer, go to the library to get on the computer, which is foreign to, to kids now. But we actually didn't have Chromebooks and laptops in every room. You had to go to the library. And I would go straight to Nike Talk, and I would just read, read, and see, and you know, see what was happening, see what was coming out, prototypes, and that's where I, I gained the knowledge for the history of the shoes, the, what they were made after, what Mike was looking for performance-wise, uh -huh. what he was looking for design-wise, silhouette-wise, and then that just kind of sparked my desire to just look into it to learn about guys like Gentry Humphrey and Tinker Hatfield and mm -hmm. the guys who were very instrumental just in Jordan Brand overall and you know just to see stuff the prototypes the stuff that didn't drop the stuff that I wish would have dropped 
like it's a number of shoes that have dropped over the years. And I'm like, man, it was kind of like 15 years late with that. Like I remember when I saw that they dropped an all black retro nine with like a pattern of the outline. And I'm like, man, I would have killed for them during like <laughs> Darius Miles Clipper years. But I look at them now and it's like, do yeah. I spend 190 on these kicks or yeah. do I, well, I, I hey, you dudes? It's just, you got adult choices to make. So it kind of like, right. you know, but it's good to see that at least the voices of the people who were on the ground 20 years ago that, you know, some of the stuff we said worked and that people took heed to it and that it mattered. Right. So, with that, um, I got one final question, um, and then we're going to close it out. I, I appreciate you, uh, my guy, for joining. Um, you've been very insightful, as always. I get this. Um, we, don't, we don't talk all the time, but whenever we jump on the phone, we usually do have a long conversation anyway. Yeah, most definitely. So I get this, I get this from time to time where I get that type of detail uh, and that attention to detail to kind of help me refocus and it doesn't it's not necessarily about shoes it's more just on some life stuff so thank you for bringing that to the pie but as we close out i'm, I'm going to ask you for your i'm, I'm going to give mine first but i'm going to ask for your top three jordans and the colorway so th- that could change because the colorway thing that could change from just saying your top three jordan models and it changes it for me so my top three jordans my favorite jordan ever is the cool gray Jordan 9. I don't know why, but the 9s is obviously that mystique with him never balling in the 9s. Um, that may may make that for me where I just, I'm in love with that particular silhouette. And cool gray, I love the cool gray on, on, his, on any of his shoes for the most part. I love when he throws just like an all cool gray. The cool gray 9s are my favorite Jordan. Um, Second is going to be uh, my favorite silhouette, um, which is the fours, but the black, uh, the black cement fours. So that's my favorite, like you know, silhouette all time, hands down. That four for me does it. Like the the four for me does it with the you know the the eyelids poking out. That that does it for me. So the four, and then third is going to be a shoe you mentioned earlier, which is the playoff twelves. Those hold significance because I have just crazy AAU memories and hooping in those shoes, man. And uh, it's it's it, they they hold a special place in my heart. So that, those are my top three: cool gray nines, black uh, cement fours, and uh, the 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 playoff twelves. What would be your your favorite uh, three Jordans and colorway included? So um, it's probably you know model wise and uh, colorway wise is gonna match up for me. Um, my favorite Jordan of all time is um, Concourse. Uh, <laughs> Air Jordan 11. Concourse, you can go Concourse slash DMP with yeah. the gold yeah. uh, jump man. Uh-huh. Uh, had a heavy infatuation with them. As a kid, I didn't get them in 95 when they dropped. I, uh, I think I got Grant Hills that year. Yeah, I got the white, blue pattern of the Grant Hills instead, and I always kicked myself for not getting them. And so, um, they hold significance for a number of reasons. Uh, first being, they were the first official shoe that I camped out for. Like, it's to the point where, like, I remember the exact date, everything. Was, <laughs> you know, Wednesday, October 25th, 2000. That's my anniversary for getting concords. Um, I've owned close to 15 
16 pair of them over the last 20 years, including DMPs. Um, I've had every release except for the 95 release in my possession at some point. Um, and just, I don't know, it's a number of reasons, man. I remember uh, Alan Iverson wore them that whole year in Georgetown. I remember Martin having them on on the episode of Martin. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sacramento High State Championship team, like yep. seven guys had them on yep. in the picture that was hung in the hallway. Um, <laughs> I remember hooping. I remember hooping at them. I remember my guy Stone had them before he passed. It was just that's that's my number one. Um, I might not wear them as often as I used to, um, but they they definitely will always hold a significance. Elevens overall will always hold a significance to me. They were always extremely comfortable, excluding the 2008 DMP. That was a horrible <laughs> shoe, and it was made horribly, but, I mean, we all make mistakes, so Jordan, Nike, I'm gay off that. Um, number two uh, would definitely be uh, black cement fours. It could be tied black cement or white cement fours. Um, I love fours. Uh, being a person who has flat feet with no arches, fours serve <laughs> well. Um, I, have, I, got, I have wider feet, so I like to loosen the laces a little bit and just kind of slide them on. I appreciate the, the tongue being attached to the sole so that um, it's not too much movement in the shoe. Yep. And I just think they dope, man. Like, they they, they can really go with anything. That's an all-purpose, yeah. Casual yeah, that's an all-purpose. Um, I've worn them to work, you know, whether it's just a polo and khakis. I've worn them with just hoop shorts. Um, I'm not really big on the wearing sneakers with dress clothes thing. I never really kind of got into that. <laughs> remember uh, you with Carmine. That's how one of the things that I remember you with just forever yeah. is Carmine's. Yeah, I think I think when I kind of like hit the social sneaker scene, that was like a shoe that I always would like showcase. Carmine's and South Beach Bride Ace, but like that Carmine in particular, man, especially that countdown pack pair from 08. Uh, it was the first time it had ever been retro. Um, not a lot of people had it. Um, a lot of people passed on it. And um, I've made an effort to, like, every time the Carmine's drop, I got to get them. I hear they drop it next year. At some point, um, I definitely will have them. Um, Carmine's and Air Jordan 6s. I love Air Jordan 6s overall. Um, from infrareds to varsity reds to Olympics to maroons, even the, even the Gatorade joints that a lot of people don't care for. I just love the 6 as a shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, it builds for me on that platform of having a, a very flat foot. Um, it suits my foot very well. Like I can put sixes on, and I can loosen the laces, and I don't have to worry about my foot appearing to be too wide because the sixes and the fours are already shoes that have a wider base anyway. Gotcha. So for somebody like me, when I put the sixes on, you know, they look pretty cool to me um, aesthetically. Um, but yeah, uh, Concords, Bread, White Cement Fours, and, uh, and Carmines, man, that's. That's my top three, man. Those are those are three pair of Jordans that, at some point, I will always have in my possession. Right now, I only have I've Concords and Brand Fours. I think I sold my Carmines a while. No, I didn't sell my Carmines. I gave them away <laughs> uh, about a month ago. I sent them to my nephew. My nephew asked me for some shoes, 
in a care package. So I, I boxed up maybe about 15 pairs and sent them to him. And Carmine's were in the box. But that was just because they were past my standard of DS, like looking DS. So I'm like, I just find another pair or wait for them to drop down the road. Thanks. So you got it there. Uh, my guy Vesti has uh, joined and entertained the From the Soul podcast. Brought a lot of knowledge, obviously, um, a lot of insight and some detail. Um, I don't think this will be the last time that we uh, we jump on this together. So uh, I do want to say I appreciate you for joining, my brother. And uh, for you and your fam, obviously, well wishes. Follow him on Instagram at Worldwide Vest. V-E-S, Worldwide Vest. Um, you won't see too many pictures of him anymore, but... You just got, you just got to scroll. You scroll down <laughs> to the bottom of the kick still there. So you... So you, you still there. I just... <laughs> I kind of be... I'm a, little, I'm a little socially antisocial. Like, I'm there, but I'm not there. I feel but, you. Uh, I ain't mad at that I just, either. I, I appreciate the opportunity, family, man. Nothing but love to you and yours. Um, like I said, it was fun. It was entertaining. It definitely took me down about some things that I had I hadn't really thought about in a while and I appreciate that. No problem. So from the soul, follow us as well at From the Soul on Instagram as well as following Limitless Lifestyle Crew. And just like that, we will be back.